Hello, you're listening to Sarah McCoy, and this is session two of Stress Management, my bi-weekly podcast on biblical character traits that help people cope with difficult trials. In the first installment, we looked at the role of faith, and today, in the second installment, we will examine the role of commitment in stress management, as it's illustrated in the beautiful Old Testament story of Ruth. So come with me to about 1250 BC. God called Abraham 700 years ago. Israel's been a nation for quite a few years. They've already settled in the land of Canaan after coming back from slavery in Egypt. Moses has been dead now for about 150 years, and the nation is ruled by judges because the monarchy is still in the future. Chapter 1 of Ruth. In the days when the judges ruled, there was a famine in the land, and a man from Bethlehem in Judah, together with his wife and two sons, went to live for a while in the country of Moab. Now Moab was to the east of Israel, and they were inhabited by the descendants of Lot, who was Abraham's nephew. He had produced this son that became the father of the Moabites through his own daughter. The man's name was Elimelech, his wife's name Naomi, which means pleasant, and the names of his two sons were Malan and Kilian, and those names mean sickly and wasted away. They were Ephrathites from Bethlehem, Judah, and they went to Moab and lived there. Now Elimelech, Naomi's husband, died and she was left with her two sons. So we're already starting to see the stress in this woman, Naomi's life. First, the stress of famine, which is a strain financially and causes insecurity emotionally. And then the decision to pack up and move to a neighboring nation that was not friendly with Israel. And then after you get there, your sons, who apparently are not the best specimens of health, have grown up and become adults, and the dad, Elimelech, dies. We go on to find in the first chapter that both of the sons marry Moabite women, and after about a decade, both of these sons, Malin and Killian, die more grief and stress, and Naomi is left without her two sons and her husband. Then she hears that things are better now in Judah, in Bethlehem, her hometown, which, by the way, means house of bread, Bethlehem. And she decides that the best thing to do now to provide for herself and her daughters-in-law is to go back to her hometown Maybe she can reclaim the home that she lived in and find some way to make ends meet. And so, in verse 7, we see that she sets out with her daughters-in-law to go back to Judah. But then she says in verse 8, Go back, each of you, to your mother's home. May the Lord show kindness to you as you have shown to your dead and to me. May the Lord grant that each of you will find rest in the home of another husband. 
What a kind and pleasant person she truly was. Then she kissed them and they wept aloud and said to her, we will go back with you to your people. But Naomi said, return home, my daughters. Why would you come with me? Am I going to have any more sons who could become your husbands? Return home, my daughters. I'm too old to have another husband. Even if I thought there was still hope for me, even if I had a husband tonight and then gave birth to sons, would you wait? Until they grow up, would you remain unmarried for them? No, my daughters. It's more bitter for me than for you because the Lord's hand has gone out against me. At this point, they wept again. Orpah kisses her mother-in-law goodbye, but Ruth clings to her. Naomi says to her, your sister-in-law is going back to her people and her gods. Go back. So if you look through those verses, starting with verse 8, there are two go-backs and two return homes. But then we come to the famous passage in Ruth 1, starting with verse 16, that is read at so many weddings, this beautiful statement of commitment. And remember, we're talking here about how commitment might help a person deal with a stressful situation. And Ruth says, don't urge me to leave you or to turn back from you. Where you go, I will go. And where you stay, I will stay. Your people will be my people and your God, my God. Where you die, I will die. And there I will be buried. May the Lord deal with me, be it ever so severely, if anything but death separates you and me. Well, at this point, after such a strong and beautiful statement, Naomi realizes that Ruth is determined to go with her, and so she drops it, and they go together. When they arrive in Bethlehem, people notice a change in Naomi's appearance from a decade ago, and they say, can this be Naomi? She tells them not to call her pleasant, but to call her bitter. She changes her own name to Mara, she says, the Almighty has made my life very bitter. I went away full, but the Lord has brought me back empty. Why call me Naomi? The Lord has afflicted me. The Almighty has brought misfortune upon me. So Naomi returned from Moab, accompanied by Ruth the Moabitess, her daughter-in-law, arriving in Bethlehem as the barley harvest was beginning. In chapter 2, we see that it occurs to Ruth that perhaps she should go to the fields where people are harvesting barley and take advantage of the law of gleaning, which was given by Moses. Those that reaped the harvest of a field were told not to reap the corners and not to pick up every last head of grain, but to leave some for the poor. And so Ruth... Able with her young body to go and do this hard labor, says to her mother-in-law, let me go to the fields and pick up the leftover grain behind anyone in whose eyes I find favor. And Naomi agrees. Not realizing that she's being led by the Lord, she finds herself working in a field that belongs to a relative of Naomi's dead husband, Elimelech. His name is Boaz, and he's probably about the generation of Elimelech and Naomi. 
After Ruth has been gleaning for a while, Boaz comes to check his field and he notices this young woman and inquires about her. And here's the favorable report that she has stayed with her mother-in-law when she didn't have to come back to this country that's foreign to her and that she's doing this back-breaking work to provide for her mother-in-law. And Boaz says to her in verse 8, <clears throat> My daughter, listen to me. Don't go and glean in another field, and don't go away from here. Stay here with my servant girls. Watch the field where the men are harvesting and follow along after the girls. I've told the men not to touch you, and whenever you're thirsty, go and get a drink from the water jars the men have filled. Boaz later says to Ruth, I've been told all about what you've done for your mother-in-law since the death of your husband and how you left your father and mother in your homeland and came to live with a people you didn't know before. May the Lord repay you for what you have done. May you be richly rewarded by the Lord, the God of Israel, under whose wings you have come to take refuge. This works well for quite some time, and Ruth is able to bring home enough grain that there is a living, there's food on the table, perhaps there's extra to sell in the market to buy other things. <clears throat> and we get to chapter 3, and Naomi, the mother-in-law, says to Ruth, shouldn't I try to find a home for you where you will be well provided for? Isn't Boaz, with whose servant girls you've been, a kinsman of ours? Tonight he will be winnowing barley on the threshing floor. Wash and perfume yourself and put on your best clothes. Then go down to the threshing floor. But don't let him know you're there until he's finished eating and drinking. When he lies down, note the place where he is lying. Then go and uncover his feet and lie down. He will tell you what to do. That must have been an awfully difficult suggestion for a young foreign woman to hear from her mother-in-law. This puts her in a pretty humiliating position. There's no guarantee that Boaz would want to marry her. He's old enough to be her father. This threshing floor is a place where women don't go. And sneaking around in the middle of the night and then proposing marriage? But her response in verse 5 to her mother-in-law is, I will do whatever you say. So she went to the threshing floor and did everything her mother-in-law told her to do. And bottom line, we get to the verse 10 of chapter 3, and Boaz says, The Lord bless you, my daughter. His response is, This kindness is greater than that which you showed earlier. You haven't run after the younger men, whether rich or poor, and now, my daughter, don't be afraid. I will do for you all you ask. He goes and takes care of the legalities that are required by the law because there is actually one other kinsman of the late Elimelech, Naomi's husband, who has the first right of marrying Ruth if he would like to. So Boaz skillfully takes care of that technicality so that the man refuses, and it is now Boaz's prerogative to take Ruth as his wife. And in Ruth 4.13, 
We read that Boaz took Ruth and she became his wife. Then he went to her and the Lord enabled her to conceive and she gave birth to a son. The women said to Naomi, praise be to the Lord who this day has not left you without a kinsman redeemer. May he become famous throughout Israel. He will renew your life and sustain you in your old age. For your daughter-in-law who loves you and is better to you than seven sons has given him birth. And then Naomi took the child, laid him in her lap and cared for him. The women living there said, Naomi has a son. She was quite the grandmother, wasn't she? And they named him Obed. He was the father of Jesse, the father of David. Are you catching this? He became a part of the lineage of Jesus Christ. More importantly, Ruth, of the Moabite people, the enemies of Israel, found herself in the lineage of Jesus Christ. We go back over Ruth's stress. Her father-in-law, her brother-in-law, and her husband had all died. Her beloved mother-in-law was leaving. Her sister-in-law was already gone, and she was experiencing great financial strain. So she was truly at a crossroads in her life, and she reacted to this stress. She coped with it by making a full and complete commitment to her mother-in-law. In that famous passage from the second chapter, she says, I'll never leave you. I'll go with you. I'll stay with you. I'll embrace your people. I'll embrace your God. I'll die where you die, and I'll be buried where you're buried. Seven statements of commitment. This declaration was lifelong and all-encompassing. It determined her environment and her social life and her religion and even her actions after Naomi was dead. These are grand words indeed. Ruth then showed her commitment by committing to three specific actions. She committed to be there and to work hard and to obey. And these are actually so very relevant to us now. First of all, she committed to be there. She left Moab and she went to Bethlehem where she was bound to be looked down upon. She was a stranger. She wasn't very welcome. She knew no one. She might have expected to have no future, but she said to her mother-in-law, I will be there. This is stressful, and I'm going to cope by being with you no matter what. In the lives of Christians today, in the midst of great stress, there is something to be said for a commitment to being with the people of God the church, your brothers and sisters in Christ. Hebrews 10, 24 and 5 says, And let us consider how we may spur one another on toward love and good deeds, not giving up meeting together, as some are in the habit of doing, but encouraging one another, and all the more as you see the day approaching. How many people, Christians, who have the availability of their brothers and sisters in Christ, if they will just meet with them, 
Be faithful to church on Sunday. Go to small group. Get involved in other things the church is doing. How many of them could cope better with the stresses that they have if they availed themselves of this commitment to be present? Things were easier for Ruth because she loved Naomi and she decided to stay with her through thick and thin. Just knowing that she was with her dear mother-in-law, who was really her best friend, was enough to make the situation easier. And likewise, when we are in the midst of difficult times, why would we not go to church and be with God's people? Ruth also coped by committing to working hard. She provided for her mother-in-law every single day. She worked for an entire season. This wasn't over in a week or two. Back-breaking all-day labor in the sun, not for the faint of heart. John 9.4 quotes Jesus as saying, As long as it's day, we must do the works of him who sent me. Night is coming when no one can work. Sometimes the best way to cope with stress is to simply say, I am going to put my head down and get to work. So we don't just come to church because there's going to be a great guest speaker or a dinner after the service on Mother's Day or a really great kids program. We have been called to commit and then to work. What are you doing in church for God's glory? Where is your place of service? You're not just in your marriage for what you can get out of it. Well, he's a good provider or well, she keeps a great home and she really knows how to cook, or, well, he's good at repairing things and taking care of the money and keeping our cars running. What are you contributing? You're not just a Christian because you want to go to heaven when you die, or you want to be blessed financially, or healed of a sickness, or have a network of good people to stand by you in rough times. You belong to God so you can serve Him. Are you interceding for others? Are you giving of your finances to support God's work? Are you witnessing to others about Him? Have you found a way to contribute to the body of Christ through visitation or ushering or keeping the nursery or cooking funeral dinners or being a camp counselor or sending encouraging notes? So we commit to being there as a way of coping with stress. We commit to working hard as a way of coping with stress. And number three, we commit to obey. Ruth submitted to Naomi's wishes. She took a risk. She humbled herself before Boaz in a potentially compromising situation. She was basically asking Boaz to save her. What would he want with a poor foreigner? Can you trust the one you've committed to? The Lord let me reassure you that God can be trusted. And when things aren't going right in your life, He can be trusted to get you through and stand by you and comfort you and give you wisdom and bring something good out of it. Trust Him and then prove it by submitting to His wishes. Take a risk. Humble yourself before Him. If He lays it on your heart to fast, do it. If he lays it on your heart to witness to someone, trust him and do it. 
If he lays it on your heart to apologize or make peace with someone, do it. Trust him, take a risk, and humble yourself. 1 Kings 8.61 quotes something that King Solomon said to the people right after his prayer of dedication to the temple. Let your heart, therefore, be wholly true to the Lord your God, walking in his statutes and keeping his commandments as at this day. Did you catch that? Let your heart be, therefore, wholly true. In other words, commit yourself and then prove it by walking in obedience, walking in his statutes and keeping his commandments as at this day. Hebrews 13, 17. Now we're in the New Testament again. Have confidence in your leaders and submit to their authority because they keep watch over you as those who must give an account. Maybe not so very popular today. Some just leave if they don't like what the pastor would like them to do. But as long as it is within the bounds of Scripture, can we not trust our leaders and submit to the authority of God by submitting to the authority of our leaders? Bottom line, Ruth had a really stressful situation. And she committed verbally to her mother-in-law and to God, and then she proved it by being there and working hard and obeying. What are you going through? Could you make a commitment that would help you cope? Could you be there? Could you give it your absolute best effort? And could you properly submit to authority as is warranted? Blessings.